Hey, Chrissy here. I am a landscape architect and the owner of Kismet Design. I am a very process-driven designer, and I love sharing what I do and how I do it with anyone who's interested. Reaching your true potential and achieving your own personal goals will not happen by chance. You have to set your intentions, make a plan, and do the work. Thank you for joining me to nerd out on design. Don't forget to subscribe and to share too. Let's create something great together. Why do you show up in your business or job every day? It's not just to punch a time clock and earn a paycheck. It's often much more than that. For creatives like us, it is often quite complex, but it boils down to a balance of finances and passion. Yes, we all need to earn a living, but the choice in how you do that, and if it feeds something deep in your soul that is what drives most creatives to push harder and express themselves in their work more passionately. Creative careers are not the only field that encounter this balancing act of finances and passion. Many creative entrepreneurs are challenged with how to balance their time and outputs to be profitable. Many creative endeavors are so time-consuming that it feels impossible to charge enough to actually make a living doing it. There's a passion in the process of creating something, but it is important to keep one foot in the realm of reality of what is reasonable and effective as well. Each form of art or creative expression has a different threshold specific to the field or the deliverable. There's an art beyond the actual art, an art in how to charge effectively and fairly for your creation. Both undervaluing and overvaluing your services and products can be detrimental to your business. There's definitely an argument that as long as you're doing what you love, it doesn't matter. But we all know life is a lot less stressful when money is not so tight. Having to work a second job to afford to follow your passion isn't exactly anyone's dream. Certainly not my own. So how do you charge enough to be profitable in a creative business? In my opinion, it all comes down to efficiency and your efficiency is a product of your processes. If you haven't listened to my intro episode, The Process Driven Designer, or episode three on inspiration and passion, the design process, both are worth a listen. The first thing to really get clear on is what do you offer? Simplify and clearly define what product or service you offer and know where the gray areas are and the areas that veer you into territory that you know you shouldn't or don't want to go. If you have a clear and fully developed offering, it will also make it easier to communicate and sell that offering to your ideal customer. It's the elevator pitch, simple, concise, and descriptive. Once the offering is clear, the internal processes can be developed, refined, and managed to really ensure that what you're doing and how you're doing it is just as well thought out. Busy work can really be detrimental to passion and enthusiasm about a project. Clearly defined systems and templates for the most mundane pieces that can't be overlooked or ignored will help keep your mental energy focused on the creative pieces, not the administrative tasks. 
Some of the templates that I employ in my business that keep things flowing are my contracts, typical verbiage, and design elements. My contract is a grid of selectable services and inclusions on triplicate paper that can be filled out while I meet with a client, allowing me to review the contract in real time, and by filling it out at my consultation meeting, it keeps me from spending hours back in the office wavering on fees and inclusions. If I am off by a couple hours, it's not going to put me out of business, but I will learn for next time because I keep track of everything and analyze my accuracy on a recurring basis. I don't know that I've ever overestimated my time, but I certainly have underestimated it. It is one of the most valuable tools to save me time because it not only keeps me from spending extra time in front of my computer typing up a proposal, but delivering the contract for approval at the consultation meeting means that I often get approval at that meeting and can stay and take measurements, saving me the travel time and scheduling of another day to come back out to measure. Yes, you heard that right. I bring my measuring kit and a contract to every consultation that I go to. I also let the client know ahead of time that this is the intention. We have already spoken on the phone, ensuring that I can offer the services they are looking for and that we feel like a good personality fit in both directions. That way, the consultation is simply a meet and greet and confirmation of scope and review of the vision goals for the design. If it all still feels like a good fit, the proposal is then presented, signed, and measurements are taken that same day. The verbiage for emails and invoices and everything else that goes into communicating is something that I also keep templated. Why type the same thing over and over and over again when you can type it once, save it, and reuse it? If needed, I can make slight modifications at each use or over time as things evolve, but the time spent typing, rereading, and thinking to ensure I have included all of the pertinent information is saved and it compounds with each use. Saving typical verbiage is also a valuable tool for when and if you hire employees. These templates can be shared with them so that you are providing a consistent message to your clients regardless of who is corresponding with them. These templates can be updated as your business grows and develops. For example, our email template for new project inquiries gets updated every couple months as our backlog fluctuates. If we are booking out no more than a couple months, it simply thanks them for their interest, provides an expectation of process, and sets up a phone consultation to serve as an intake interview and opportunity to schedule their on-site consultation. If we have a larger backlog, the same information is communicated, but we add an expectation of our next availability for an on-site consultation to ensure that if this timeline doesn't fit, we know ahead of time. When we have been booked out more than nine months, we offer all of this plus an option for a referral to someone that may be available sooner because that's a long time to wait, but people still do it. And then design elements are a really useful tool, especially in drafting. Not so much if you're hand drafting, but 
In digital drafting, regardless of the program you use, keeping design elements templated and using blocks can save a ton of time. And that is the one of the biggest time-saving pieces to digital design. There's often much more modification here, but each time I draw something that I think I may use again, it can be saved. Typical notes, details, design blocks can all save time and again be shared with employees for consistency. I have a CAD file template that includes a list of our company layer and line types that also includes some of the most commonly used blocks like rocks, outdoor furniture, notes, hatch patterns that serve as a great reference and a tool to ensure all drawings that get presented, regardless of if I did the drafting or not, have a consistent look. My template also contains a sample drawing from base plan to concepts to revised layout and finally planting plan. I personally don't reference this information much anymore, but it is great for my employees, especially in onboarding, to see the expectation of each deliverable and each of those drawings also contains easily matched properties like hatches, line types, and blocks that can be referenced and used while drafting a new project. We could dive deep into processes and systems, but we'll save that for another episode as each individual will have their own way of implementation that works for them. And depending on the services you offer and your level of experience and expertise, there could be countless variables to take into consideration. To keep the discussion high level, the take home here is to simplify your systems and processes. Just like the elevator pitch of what you have to offer, it is important to have clarity on how each client will progress through the process and the systems you rely on to ensure that each client receives the level of service you desire. The simpler the system, the easier to implement and the easier to explain, both to your customers and your employees. The more complex the system it is, the more variables there will be and movable parts that can muddy the path and open opportunities to veer off track. Some of the systems that I rely on to keep things running smoothly in my business are billing, CRM, and file storage. Every business will have their own strategy and processes for billing, among many things. I know many designers that bill hourly, and although I track my time diligently, I don't bill hourly for a couple of reasons, but mainly simplicity. I bill all of my designs at a flat fee with the exception of some add-on design services that are not so predictable or easily estimatable, like detailing and permitting. I regularly audit my time on projects to ensure I'm keeping my fees in line with where they should be and within the allotted hours that I've estimated. I split the flat fee into two payments, one as a deposit and the other as a progress payment. That way I can easily generate and send invoices without needing to refer to my or my employees timesheets to calculate what needs to be billed. It also gives me freedom and flexibility to get a little distracted and go down the rabbit hole without worrying about charging for potentially ineffective design time. It also ensures that the client is not surprised by the billing or questions the amount of time spent. For my billing and construction-related services, I have simplified my fee to be a percentage of the total project cost and again, split the payments up. 
This service, I especially find simpler billing and fees provide a better overall service to my clients. The construction projects can take much longer than expected sometimes. And although when they do, it may cut into my profitability, I find it better this way. Not charging hourly or by site visit gives me the flexibility to visit the site as often as I feel necessary without needing to justify billing for those hours. If I want to stop by just to get some photos, but don't need to be there specifically to coordinate with the contractor on anything, no big deal. If I stop by two times in one day, so be it. The client doesn't see me on site and think, oh, cha-ching, that's another X amount of dollars on the invoice. And again, I can easily invoice without tallying and totaling up the hours from timesheets. Best of all, it ensures that the client has a clear expectation of what the project will cost, including my involvement, before shovels ever hit the ground. I hate surprises. So does your client. The CRM program that I use is Asana. I use the free version because it does everything I need it to, but there's also a pro version with much more capabilities. My team inputs and tracks all of our projects, tasks, and timelines into Asana. Our weekly planning meeting revolves around reviewing and updating our calendar and Asana. Because we do not physically work in the same space, it also ensures that we can remotely access the same to-do list and update items and assign tasks seamlessly in a virtual space. We assign tasks with deadlines as well as provide comments and feedback. Each tab in Asana also contains the critical information about each client and each project, like contact information, meeting dates, contractor selection, installation completion dates, and follow-up timelines. Asana can also easily link tasks directly to my calendar as well. Not last on the list, but last system I want to touch on is file storage, both digitally and physical file storage can often get really messy, especially for creatives. But with a team of people that might not all have the same sense of organization, it can really get to be a mess. In Asana, I have created a project called Company Processes. And one of the many items found there is the file storage and naming conventions to ensure we are all naming and storing files the same way. I find I am the one that has to be held accountable for this more often than not. This is also where many of the email and verbiage templates I mentioned above, in addition to our design processes, talking points when meeting with a client, drafting conventions and checklists and notes, and contractor contact and coordination information are found. Within our shared digital files, there's a clear system to where things get filed to ensure that everyone knows where to find something, even if they aren't the one who is the project lead. I also have folder templates in each subcategory with standard subfolders to ensure that each client folder gets the same subfolders without having to add them each time or remember. And that keeps each folder consistent. For instance, our client folder template contains subfolders for contracts and bids, CAD files, PDFs, reference information, plant files, and ideas and inspiration photos. 
The template folder is simply copied and renamed for each new client we work with. I even have a system for my physical files as well. All scheduled consultation files for clients I have not met with yet have a folder containing my phone consultation notes and intake information with their name written in pencil on a separate, and all of these are contained in a separate wall file. Once I meet with them, they become a, and they become a client, they get a project number and their name gets written in ink. I know it's official now. Then they move into my active client wall file. When they're in the consultation files, they are organized by date. Once they move into my active client files, they're organized alphabetically. Once they transition to construction, they rotate from my desk file to my personal folder that I bring on site based on site visits for the day or the week. After construction is completed, the file gets filed away in my shelves in the six month category until I meet with them for their six month check-in and respectively again for their 12 month check-in. Then finally they get into the past client drawer, which is as you would assume not accessed nearly as often. Sounds complex, but with a heavy client load, it ensures that I know where in my often messy office, each client folder will be found and they all rotate around my office counterclockwise. I wish it was clockwise, but that doesn't fit with my furniture layout. I know that sounds obsessive and crazy, but I'm okay admitting it. All of these systems and processes are clearly defined understandings about my business and how I conduct business add to the efficiency in which I work, allowing me to work with more clients. So we've spent a lot of time talking about the how, but not the what. So what do you charge? This is not so precise or easily defined, but we can talk about some boundaries and theory that help to guide you in the right direction and come to the right number. It is important to know that every design has their own unique qualifications and skills, and each type of project demands a different level of service and expertise. Someone that only provides planting design services and does not generate elaborate drawings to do so will typically not charge the same hourly rate as someone working on highly complex projects needing coordination with engineers, architects, and permitting departments who has multiple certifications. Typically, a landscape architect will be charging more per hour than someone with no certifications. Same for certified designers and horticulturists. Number of years and experience also affect the justifiable hourly rate. Creativity is the most mushy of the variables, though. I have met designers that are amazingly talented and creative, but do not have a degree in the field or any certifications or qualifications that have a hard time justifying to themselves charging what their work is worth to the end consumer. Without getting too nerdy into the math, but ensuring you can make a living doing what you love, first come up with the amount of money that you need to make to support your lifestyle. Don't get crazy here. From there, depending on how much historical data you have to work with, you can factor in costs of doing business. This includes things like software subscription, equipment, taxes, licenses, insurance, and support professionals like your CPA, etc. 
The more expansive the list, the more accurate you will be. From there, you can take that big number and start to break it down by month and by project and eventually down to the hour. When analyzing your hourly billable rate, it is also important to remember that not every hour you work will be directly billable to a client or to a project. In a typical work week, I range from 50 to 75% of my time being directly on projects. The rest is administrative. My employees have a higher percentage because they do not have the same amount of administrative responsibilities that I do as the owner. This goes into the overhead cost portion of the hourly rate that is billed. The administrative time includes marketing, bookkeeping, emails, planning, meeting with employees, and a slew of other tasks that all support your ability to support your clients, even if they do not, even if that time is not directly billable to their project. This math will show you where you need to be to support your passion. What it doesn't show you is the variable based on demand and creative impact. Just as you would pay more for a painting by Picasso than someone unknown who is just starting painting in their basement last week, your ideal customers have a higher threshold for what they will pay to work with someone who comes highly recommended, has directly relative experience, delivers exceptional service, and whom they feel a personal connection with. This is the dial that you will likely adjust the most as you grow as a designer and as your services and expertise grow as well. I don't know any Picassos, but I do know some designers that truly inspire me and I'm committed to constantly improving myself so that someday I will reach that level of fabulousness. Because I do not bill hourly, my billable rate is typically not as front-facing as it would be with someone who does bill hourly, but it is used to determine the flat fee that I charge for each of my designs. Profitability as a designer is not just how great you are at what you do, but how efficient and effective the services and products you offer are and your ability and willingness to do the homework to ensure you are refining your processes and billing strategy to support what you do. Track the information that supports your analysis and strive to implement systems that increase your efficiency to be able to spend more time doing what you love and less time keeping the business cogs moving. To wrap up, I want to thank you for your time. I hope the ideas discussed today have left you feeling excited and energized. As I build both my business and my life, I value the support and feedback you provide. I would love for you to reach out to me to let me know what you think, give me ideas, or just to connect. Please don't forget to subscribe and also share with a friend. Until next time, go create something wonderful.